When Bill was reading, I was actually thinking about the mercy of God. Because of my rambunctiousness, I probably would have had him read chapter 12, verse 20, all the way through 17. But God intervened, and he corrected me. But we will be in chapter 13, focusing on verses 31 through 35. But before that, I think we should uh, ask him for some help. Are dependent upon him for all things. Lord God, as Bill has said, we are thankful that you have opened our eyes to your word, Lord, um, that you give us understanding, um, that you are our teacher. And Father, we just pray that you would help us here um, to remain focused. We pray that your Holy Spirit would um, take the truths that I speak from your word and apply it to our lives, even myself, especially myself. Um, and if I say anything that's whack, we just pray that you would protect us from that, Lord. Uh, because I am fallible. You are not. You are all powerful. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Speaking of fallibility, um, we have a tendency to be known for something. And we are known in different ways. Sometimes we are known by our employment. We could be known as an electrician, as a mechanic, as a nurse, working in sales, or, or a flounderer jumping from one job to another. Uh, we can be known for our reliability or the lack thereof. Some people can always be known for showing up maybe 15, 20, 30 minutes early, and then there's, you know, the real world version of us that show up right when we're supposed to be there, or maybe 5, 10, 20 minutes later. And we can also be known for our temperament, can't we? Oh, that's an angry fella, or that person is critical, always uh, wanting to address all my issues, or maybe that's a chipper lady. And that actually makes me think of a movie that Bill says I shouldn't do, but in this movie, The Office, uh, there's this guy, his name's Peter, and he's always having a rough day on Mondays. He hates his job. There's this lady in the background who always has this chipper voice, and she's on the phone, and always putting people on hold, and the, the chipperness actually is like a nail inside his head. Um, but that's a different story. Or maybe some people are like Peter, and we're, they're just known as bummers. There's nothing good that they ever say. They're always depressed, always whining and complaining about something. Um, I would just say that I'm not typically a chipper person. Uh, but in my days of heathenism, that would have been a few years ago, hopefully still there, uh, there'd be a group of us that would always go out to a few different local establishments in Greenville, uh, but we had this one friend that was known for two things. Now, I think he hoped that he was known for his appearance. Because he always had a nice clean shirt. I mean, we weren't dirty. We didn't wear dirty clothes. But he was always tight, wearing uh, the nice uh, brands, nice trends. I'm pretty sure he uh, ironed his jeans every once in a while, clean shoes, hair done upright, and he wore a cross around his neck. But what he was really known for was 
two things, spending tons of money at the bars and getting to the point where he wanted to fight a wall. Yeah. That, that always happened. He'd always hit that maxi point and then that would be the end of the night for all of us. Now, the way he was known by us, it caused us to vacillate back and forth when he would uh, text us or call us. Because on one hand, it's like, hey, we get the drink for free. But on another hand, it's like we have to babysit the Hulk at the end of the night. And so it's like, what do we do here? And that's how we viewed him and how we related to him. And it really affected our relationship. Now, likewise, we as Christians are to be known for something. And it has an even greater impact than my friend. And I'm pretty sure I didn't say his name, so that's good. Um, so as we look at these verses in 31 through 35, there's three things that we need to know. We must know how we are to be known, what we're to be known for. We must know what Jesus means and how he exemplified that. And we must know how to work it out in our own lives. The simple one is knowing how we are to be known. And we find that actually at the end of our section in the verses 34 and 35 of chapter 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So clearly, we're to be known to love one another. Um, and I want to point out, and I don't think this is, uh, this is something important that we need to recognize, is that this is not a general love applied generally to all people everywhere. Now, the Bible clearly talks about that, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but this, quote-unquote, new commandment here, this commandment that's inspired and motivated by Christ's example and something that we should keep at the forefront of our minds, is given to the remaining 11. If we look at the section that Bill read, we see that he spends time with, he, he eats a meal with all 12 of his disciples. He washes the foot, feet of all 12. Um, <coughs> He, he has communion with all twelve. He dips the bread in the wine, gives it to Judas, and sends them out to do what he is going to do, and to do it quickly. So now we only have the eleven remaining. Even though the foot washing was for all twelve, Judas was sent out. And this is important to be noted, not to be disregarded. Because the one who is known as the betrayer the one who is unfaithful to Jesus, the one that we will call the anti-friend, I mean, he sold him for a couple hundred dollars in today's um, understanding, was sent out, sent away. So the 11 are remaining, the 11 that are known as faithful, the one that he will call in chapter 15, friends, the ones that um, don't betray him. This new commandment of loving one another is giving to the gathered, the gathered 11, the assembled 11, what we would call today probably as the church. But he's not saying to them, love one another in a clicky way. He 
He's saying love one another individually. So while um, Jesus had the three that he took up onto the mount, Peter is supposed to love Matthew the same way that Christ loves Peter. And James is to love um, Bartholomew the way that Jesus loves James. This, we're, not, we're not to confine ourselves to one part of the eleven, but to love the entire eleven the way Jesus loved well, them, us. Now, an interesting thing that I saw, or I'm going to note actually, is that it excludes a whole lot of things. In the specificity of loving one another as Jesus loved, he's not saying that we have to be pious or outwardly religious. He's not saying that we have to be high in intellectualism or uh, being a philosopher or having some degree in theology. He's also not saying whatever the opposite of those things are. He's not saying that we are to be artsy or musical, that we're to be extraordinary or exciting, cool or hip, funny or clever. And again, he's not saying whatever the opposite of those things are. We're not to be known for being self-reliant or go-getter or, or a star player, which is great for me, or the other things, or whatever the opposite of those things are. And we're not supposed to be known for how politically active we are, how conservative we are, how liberal we are, how Republican or Democrat we are, or whatever the opposite of those things are either. There's so many other things that we're not supposed to be known by with how specific Jesus is with saying how we should be known in this world. That we are to love one another as Jesus loved us. The, the, the um, call and response that Dan read or led us in, the, the one line that we repeated over and over again how the Christians love one another was actually um, uh, uh, came from Tertullian. The early church wasn't known for, uh, well, all these things that I just listed. It was known for how the early church loved one another. It's interesting that uh, we argue about how, how we're supposed to do church. Do we do it in a building like this? Do we take it back into the homes? Do, you know, what do we do about music and all this other stuff? Whereas the early church was known for love and loving one another. And not these other things that... Now, I'm not saying those other things are unimportant, but they're not nearly as important as how we love one another. But before we get to how does Christ define love and how does he exemplify it, we need to know one other important fact, and that's in verse 35. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. All will know. There are folks that are looking at us that are watching us they might be out there now I don't know they got drones and stuff now they're, they're staring at us and they, they're wanting to know what makes a Christian a Christian remember my friend that I talked about earlier because it wasn't that long ago he was wearing a cross but he wasn't known for whatever that cross could represent he was known for 
his self-indulgences, like Todd talked about recently. Those self-indulgences uh, 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 defined him, and it, it, it showed the world who he was. He was this person who needed to make sure everyone knew how much he spent that night at the bars. And he had to make sure that everyone knew that if he got into a fight with a wall, that he would win. Mm, about 50% of the times. Um, and so for the same way with us, how we are, and that, you know, with how he was behaving and how he defined himself in that, it made us, even his friends, kind of vacillate between, do we want to be with him or don't we? You know, is, like, what kind of person is he? Is he, uh, is there a lot of integrity here or isn't there? Well, the same is true for us. You know, I, when we're loving one another, we show the world um, who God is in that. We're reflecting Christ. Um, and then, but not only that, but like, they look in and say, do I want to be a part of that? Is there something that's attractive within the church that the world doesn't offer? And if we're not caught up in loving one another, then we're caught up in something else. And that something else will define who we are in nine times out of nine, it will always be worldly stuff. So it's very important that we know how Jesus defined this love if he's going to tell us that we are to love like this. And so how does he define love then? Well, if we go back to verses 31 through 33, because that's all that's left in this section, we see that the first thing is that he relates love to death. Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. Here he's talking about his death. And the reason that I said that I would have loved to have uh, chapter 12, verses 20 through 17 read, because in this era of final discourses, um, theologians call it, he talks about this. And this is what he's talking about leading up to the cross. And if we ch just flip over to chapter 12, and you go into verse 20, actually let's start in 23. The same language that Jesus just used in 31 is used in this chapter here, and it helps us to understand what he's saying, what he's, what he, what he's talking about. You know, we're applying that old principle that scripture interprets scripture not what I think or what I feel or what baggage I bring to the table. And so we read, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Okay? Glorified. And what's he talking about next? Death. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Moving on. He uh, goes on talking about how his soul is troubled, and he says, Father, save me from this, um, uh, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And we continue on in verse 30 where he says, um, or, you know, they heard a loud voice from heaven. I both glorified and glorified again. And then uh, 30, Jesus says, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out, and I am 
And I, if I am lifted high up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. The same language here that is used in verses 31 through 33 points back, well, to this section, but it's actually pointing forward to the fact that Christ, his, he's, he's the grave that's going to die, and that's going to create this, um, and, draw, and not be alone, but have the multitude of, of the grain here. Where he says when he's lifted up and he dies, all peoples will come to him here. And we see that um, a couple things here. We see his humility. We saw it when he's foot washing, but now it's expanded to him laying down his life. We see the, the self-sacrifice with the little bit, again, with the foot washing, where he's taking with his garments, putting the towel on himself and kneeling down and washing his disciples' feet and serving them there. And now he's um, going to serve folks on the cross. He's going to serve even more filthy, dirty people on the cross. And we see love here. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, but perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Christ is relating love to death. Love to death. That the motivating factor, the, the expression of love, ends in death. And then he goes on to say that we have to love one another the way he loved uh, uh, sinners. That our love for one another is shown in our willingness to die for one another. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love. Because he laid his life down for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, which is known as the church. And then John 15, verses 12 and 13, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay, one's, lay down one's life for his friends. So now we're starting to get a definition of love. And that definition isn't mushiness, isn't flowers, isn't chocolates, it's not February 14th. It's death. It's loving someone to the point of putting your life down for their sake. It's removing the comfort from your life to fulfill their needs. It's putting aside your desires and your wants for the sake of their ailments, their needs. But Christ's willingness to die didn't just appear, you know, when he was born. He didn't come as a baby and then he was crucified as a baby. There was a lifelong expression of love that he um, showed. And I mentioned the three, the, the humility, the self-denial, the self-sacrifice, and the love that was in, the, in, in his death. Humility is a big one. 
Let each of you, and this is a principle that we're supposed to always use in our lives, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Going back to the context of foot washing, he saw the, 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 the need of, of, well, the tradition of washing feet, but then of actually washing feet, that these feet were mired in dirt and, and filth and that they needed to be cleaned. And he said, I'm going to clean them. I'm going to clean them. And that little expression, again, foreshadows the big expression, that he sees sinners, people mired in filth and muck and dirt and disgustingness against God. And he says, I need to clean them. I need to reconcile them with the Father. And I'm going to do that because I love them. And this humility leads to the self-sacrifice. Um, we're not going to turn there, but Philippians 2, we've used over and over and over again because it's uh, one of the, well, it's a great example of the humility and the self-sacrifice of Jesus that God would take on flesh. That, that, that God, the Bible says, is spirit. Before Jesus took on flesh, he was spirit. And then he added flesh to spirit. There's nothing taken away from him. There's something added to him. And the Bible talks about how he laid aside his, his rights and privileges as God, as ruler of the world, as creator of all things, in order to do that. The giver of life had to be born now. Yeah, I know. The eternal, infinite one had to grow and learn how to walk and learn how to talk. The one who provides us with everything that we have, whether it's food or the air we breathe, the lungs, the, the, the internal system to, to make us breathe and live and our hearts beat, or even our houses, our jobs, our skills, our um, gifts and talents, had to be provided for. He had to be fed. He had to be nurtured. Probably had to be birthed. The sustainer of everything had to be cared for and protected. And the great God and creator of the world was walking around on this earth. Probably faster than I would walk, but he was still walking. He didn't just randomly show up and, um, we'll say Galilee or Samaria. He walked there, or he rode an animal to get there. It says he had no place to lay his head. He was a sojourner in his own creation. Things that he built, and he didn't move the mountains so he could have a nice, clear, straight path. He either went around them and went over them. And above all that, the Holy One the came, became sin for us. The Righteous One took on our punishment. The Innocent One died for us. He laid down His life for the guilty. So we see that His lifelong Ministry or his earthly life, if you want to call it, was always 
a, a sign of humility and of sacrifice for the love of the people that he came to save. He didn't do these things um, just because he was bored in heaven and needed something to do. He knew what needed to be done, and he did it. So adding to our definition of love, of death, is that it has a lifelong um, expression of self-sacrifice and humility with it. Again, love isn't just a feeling that waxes and wanes dependent upon the day and the, and the argument or the lack of argument that we have. Sure, there are affections that are involved. I do warmly and deeply love God. But a bad day doesn't determine that. It's not romantic feelings that are um, built up and always encouraged. Not that there's anything wrong with a nice dinner out. Guys, take your ladies out. But love is a constant, consistent, determined, committed decision to think less of ourselves exalt the other person to sacrifice our own comfort, our own desires our own wants for the needs of others and you're going to think what I'm about to say is goofy but some of the best examples of this and, I, I, and it's only because it's recent I found in Duck Dynasty <laughs> see um, now I want to say some of the things that these couple, these couples went through, uh, maybe we went through, but their story is different from ours, so the decisions that they made are not necessarily better than the decisions that we had to make. For instance, the patriarch, Phil Robertson and his wife, Kay. Before they were rich and uh, had a lot of, well, I guess that's what rich is, right? Earthly rich, financially rich, um, they were very poor. And during this time, Phil was on drugs, he was an alcoholic, and he was a womanizer. Uh, and this happened for a long time. If I remember correctly, it wasn't until the kids were in their teens when he was saved. But his wife stood by him. Not because she felt the warm gooeyness of love every day, not because he brought home flowers. Um, we find out in his podcast that Frank got me hooked on that he actually has a daughter from one of these um, sinful excursions. She stuck with him because she knew what love was. That she made a commitment to this man that she was going to stay by him no matter what. Sure, she had biblical grounds for divorce, but she knew that what God wanted in her life for that moment was for her to stand by him, to be with him, to pray for him, to attend to his needs in those moments when he wasn't caring about her needs, when he was only caring about his own comforts and desires. Um... The other one we'll save for later. Um, 
And this is a reality that isn't just shown in the life of, of, of TV personalities. We know from here um, and in reality that people have employed the loving one another as Christ is loved in marriages. And it's um, uh, in God working through that. Uh, one of the... Uh, um, in the interviews, while they're watching their grand, or, yeah, the grandkids get married, they, they would have these little talking heads about what advice would you give to uh, to that. And Kay said, "Stay committed and always forgive." And those were her two things. Because, and she went on to say, "If we're always lifting up the other person, if we're always being humble to the other person." The husband's doing that to the wives. The wives doing that to the husbands. And there's nothing that they can't work through. And I thought that was one of the most profound things that she's ever said. And in that moment, I, I, I could see that she was doing what Jesus told her to do. To love one another as he has loved her. She laid down his life for him, for, for her husband. And that's just, but I kind of want to expand out because I don't want to talk about marriages here. This isn't what it's about. It's about the church loving one another. That's, that's what Christ's point here. But it, it definitely does have to start at home. Okay? And so my question is, for all of us, individually, not plural, singular, what are you known for? Are you known for loving one another as Christ loved you? Am I known for this? God, I hope so. But maybe we're all at different stages, right? Because there's a lot of different people here. We're not all at the same place. Maybe some of us have let our let other things become what we are known for, whether it's piety or tradition or intellectualism or, or uh, theological knowledge or, or political acuteness. Maybe some of us have let our past rule our present. That there's a hurt back there that we can't let go. And so that um, kind of distorts and, and confines our love for one another. Maybe we've let the present rule our faith. That we're Found in fear or worry. And, and it's leading us to, to be quick to make decisions um, that embarrass us. And so we stay away from the ones that we are to love. Or maybe we've let our preferences and passions and opinions um, and our interests subvert this community living that Christ is calling us to. Or maybe we're just not interested. Maybe we just don't have an interest to, to apply this um, commandment to our lives. Whatever the issue is, we are to follow Christ in all things. He comes first. And so when he says that we are to love one another as he has loved us, we must get to the point of loving one another as he has loved us. 
And I'm not saying in little tiny clicks where we sit and where we're communing, but with everyone here that's involved. Yes, we're going to fall short, um, but we can't focus on the falling short. We need to come back, we need to repent, and we need to move forward because He's given us His Holy Spirit to have the ability to walk in His footsteps. He gives us grace to put to death sin in our lives. And He's continually loving us, showing us His love for us so that our love for Him can continue to develop and, and grow and be applied to the church, to the ones that He loves here. No matter where we are, I think there are a couple principles or guidelines that if we employ, we will develop that love for one another, for folks that don't even know. And I will tell you what, uh, this is not, this comes from experience. Because I used to sit up here and I used to not talk to anyone, except for the people that I knew. Um, and it wasn't, I didn't, you know, they didn't say, oh, he'll be an elder. So, and that, then I started loving people. It was me saying, you know what? I'm not loving the way Christ has loved. And I must do that. I must develop a relationship with these people. And I must love them. Um, so there's some principles from this, actually just chapter 13, that I, in just all of Christ's life, that um, can be employed here. The first, and they're really intertwined, um, so I'm going to try to separate them as best as I can, but the first one and the big one is presence. You have to be here. You have to be with each other in order to uh, grow, to love one another, to get to know each other. It's like any relationship. You know, when you're dating, the, you know, the first couple days you don't really know, and that might just be attraction, but by the time you're married, hopefully that's uh, it's less of attraction and more of love knowing who this person is. And that does start with the Sunday morning worship in our Sunday schools and our Bible studies and our prayer meetings. Um, and we encourage everyone to come to those, not just so someone, you're, you're sitting there and you're hearing teaching. That's a good thing and that's a big thing and that's what the apostles did in next, uh, I think it was chapter 2. But if you would come, and if you would see the folks just, we'll call it hanging out, talking afterwards, sometimes a Bible study will end at 6, and I'm the only one with the key to lock the doors and set the code, because everyone else is like, you know, we're going to go to bed. And I'm waiting on like three or four different conversations to end. And it's like 8 o'clock. And I'm like, oh, I'm 41. I got to go to bed. I got to watch my Dark Dynasty. What's going on here? But to watch these relationships develop and blossom, to be a part of that, to, be, to come to know, um, you know the new people who are coming, the older people who were there before me, has been such a blessing on my life. And, you know, 
that's what the fellowship dinners are for, to develop that, that relationship, that love for one another. And now we've added the movie nights, and, and we're, do, you know, we're doing this fall fest again for the whole church. And, um, and all of this is to help develop and cultivate love for one another. Now the second thing I have, which actually relates to the first one, like I said, it's intertwined, living life with each other. The big one is hospitality. Um, I've had a few folks at my house. Now, because it's easier for me to go up to someone and say, hey, when can I come over? I start doing that. Um, okay, I won't do that. Um, hospitality is a big thing. I mean, to be in someone's home, to eat meals with each other, to talk about um, life, and, and where each other is at, and to know how to pray for one another and to pray with one another is a big thing. And that just brings you closer and closer and closer together. Um, and, and sometimes they keep you there until midnight, and that's okay. Um, ministry. We have these work days. We have BBS. You know, we go out and we help family, um, families within the church, people that we love. And in those times, it isn't, I've never actually felt like I worked. Whether it was um, the movie that we did recently, the work days that I've been a part of, the VBS that I was a part of, or even um, doing like his work his way. It never felt like work, even though my body was tired at the end of the day. Because I'm relating and I'm growing in love with these other people that are around me. I'm getting to know them. Um, one of the cool things, uh, and he's probably too shy for this, and I partially ran this by him, but it's okay. We love each other. Um, when we had a men's cookout, Chris Benson was here like at, what, five in the morning or something like that? And I was like, oh, dang, that's cool. And, and like, I got to know him there a little bit more than, like, me and Dan. Do you know what me and Dan have in common? Jesus. That's about it. <laughs> That's it. But over the years, um, we've done things together. We've hung out. He's, he's taught me how to shoot a gun, taking me hunting. I haven't killed anything yet. But we're developing this relationship and this love for one another to, so that we're doing what Christ has called us to do here. And then the final thing is serving one another. Um, and this one is more, we use the fancy term discipleship. You can say mentorship, you can say pouring into one, one another's lives, whatever. Um, but encouraging one another. And the only way you can encourage one another is to know how to encourage them. Or, or it, you know, one thing I like to do is go through, um, periodically go through the, uh, the directory and pray for people. And if I don't know how to pray for people, I usually send a text or a phone call. Um, and we see in Jesus' life that there was teaching and discipling old people. You have so much, I mean older people, you have so much um, wealth in this area to teach the young people. So don't be afraid to say, hey, we need to get together and start um, developing this or, you know, to say, I want to get to know you. And that will start it. And young people, don't ever say no to these older people. 
They are a wealth of, of, of discipleship, um, Christian faith, deepness of love that surpasses whatever you can get from a book that is popular on the shelves today or whatever John MacArthur sermon you're hearing. You have to do the, the work, it's not work, do the faith of following this commandment. You know, and going back to like when I said about you know what, what Dan and I have in common, you know Jesus, and that's true, but that's true for all of us, and that's the most important thing because, um, well, we're not married by God's grace, but um, Jace and Miss Robertson are married, and she grew up in the suburbs, and he grew up poor, like I said. Um, when they went out on the first day, he pulled up in a truck where the windows didn't work, and she had to climb inside her truck, his truck that way. Or not, because the doors weren't open either. Um, but there's a lot of things that they had to work through in their marriage, and the only thing that they had in common wasn't where they came from, it wasn't their interests, uh, it was Jesus. And they're, both their commitment to Christ and then their commitment to one another. And I'm telling you, that's all we need. I mean, there are people in here that I have very little interest in, in common with, but because of Christ, and because of His work in my life and His work in their lives, I've gotten to know them better. And, and I'm able to actually have an adult conversation that isn't based on the Ramones or, or Dynasty, really. But um, we cannot let the influences of how the world says we are to do relationships um, enter into that. Because the big things that we love one another as Christ has loved us. So as we're following Christ and as we're loving one another, the world is going to see that it doesn't matter if you're sporty or, or late, well, you shouldn't be late. Like sporty or, uh, or arty or whatever. Whatever their definitions and terms are, those don't matter. It's how we love one another. And I'm hoping um, that at least for myself, from this study, that one thing is true. That I am known for loving you all the way Christ loved me. And I ask you that if that's never seen in my life, that you point me in the right direction. Move me if I have to be moved. As Dan said earlier, we do a pretty good job of that. And we do. But I think it's easy for us to get sucked back into to the world and into what they want us to do, especially in this culture and this day and age where they want us to pick sides. Um, and I don't, I already pick a side, and that's Jesus. Let's pray.
love for us is astounding. It's more than we deserve. It's at times baffling that you would love sinners like us. That you would lay your life down for us. We are so thankful that you would love us in such a way but that you wouldn't just leave us as who we are, but you would transform us to bear your image, to follow you, to, to love as you have loved. Lord, you are the centerpiece, the true north, uh, the only thing that matters. And we thank you that you make other things matter. Father, please be with us. Please um, help us to love one another more deeply. Help us to be um, wanting to be in the presence of each other more and more. Um, you know, I listed formal gatherings here. But Lord, help us to just Invite one another into each other's houses to have dinners or coffee or campfire or something. Lord, we are continually thankful for the grace that you give us. Father, I just pray that you would continue to work on the marriages that are in this church, that you would continue to protect from the devil, uh, from sin, from the sway of the world. Father, help us, help um, our brothers and sisters in these situations um, to love each other as Christ loved them, Lord. Um, that there would be humility and commitment and forgiveness continually exercised constantly, consistently, and determinedly. And we pray that for just the, this large family in general here, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Christ's name.